0: Good afternoon and welcome to Citizen K, a weekly current affairs program featuring in depth interviews and perspectives. I'm Kareem Mosna. This week on the show, want to try your hand at painting? Well, this is a cool opportunity free art classes that will help enhance appreciation of the Great Lakes and our local history. This all through the Marine Museum of the Great Lakes. My conversation with Programs and Communications Manager Michelle Clarabut coming up. But first, imagine being on a boat with zero emissions and no noise pollution. Yes, Canada's first commercially available electric boat launched right here in Kingston over the Canada Day-Long weekend. And the first marine electric charger in the country was installed at Confederation Basin Marina. The boat is the Voltari 260 manufactured by Voltari Electric. I was there and had the chance to speak with Voltari Electric CEO Cam Heaps. This is huge. I mean, uh, electric uh, charging station for boats. Now, is this something that uh, we're going to probably see more of in the future across more cities?
1: Absolutely. This will be Canada's first uh, marine fast charger. And uh, this is the summer. uh, Actually, today we're officially launching the Voltari production demo. The world's first performance electric boat, zero emissions, no noise, recapturing the serenity of our waterways.
0: Mm. Well, the, so, but you'll it, still be fully, you know, functional as a boat. Be able to get you know where you need to go in terms of speed and all that.
1: Yeah, the reason we've spent 13 years of R and D to getting towards this day is the objective of our whole engineering mission was to build a boat that will give you a complete day of use on the water so that's how you'll be able to use it just like your traditional combustion boat
0: excellent now in terms of of cost is is it generally on par with what you'll see with other right other motor boats at this point
1: uh the initial products in the marine ev space will cost a premium much like the automotive industry in its early days you know the first uh, teslas were about two hundred fifty thousand dollars because the initial product is a smaller volume, new technology, etc. And then the, so you be able to focus on a luxury product. And as time goes on, more mainstream products will enter the marketplace.
0: I mean, there's definitely uh, benefits uh, in for the environment, for the water. Um, any other benefits do you think that are important to look
1: at with an electric boat? Well, one of the other benefits, besides the reduction in emissions, is the reduction in noise so the, one, the first thing that strikes you when you get on an electric boat is is the lack of noise and when you're out on the water um, you know we don't use boats in in driving around downtowns and on highways we use them in you know beautiful serene waterways so to be able to remove that noise is is, is makes the future very exciting and it also allows you to talk to your friends without yelling at them
0: yeah, that is certainly a great one uh, benefit that maybe wood isn't obvious. But um, so it's starting. Uh, why, why Kingston? How, how did that all come to be for the first one?
1: Well, we uh, manufactured the product just up the Rideau Canal there in, in Merrickville, and my partner Tim's got a cottage on Ash Island in the Thousand Islands, and that's been our sort of testing center uh, for our prototypes over the years. Excellent. Well,
0: thank you for speaking. Well, and I
1: should say, and because Kingston has stepped up because they have a huge vision towards uh, reducing emission footprints to partner with us on the first charging station.
0: Excellent. So why not yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Mayor Brian Patterson was also in attendance for the installation of the Marine Fast Charger and he had some thoughts to share. Kingston, the first place to uh, ha- launch this electric boat charging station. Uh, thoughts on this? Oh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's exciting. I think it fits perfectly with our city's vision of Sustainability and leadership on climate action. You know, I think it's a community we've really embased, embraced uh, electric vehicles, and you know that's not just electric vehicles on the road, but of course with our amazing waterfront and with the uh, the boating and, and sailing community that we have here. I think it's a, an amazing spot to be able to uh, to be able to talk about our uh, the advent of, of electric boats as well. Well, and that's definitely you know it's going to be a beneficial to our environment and to uh, to the water as well. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, I think it's a, it's a leadership, leadership on climate action. And that's both, you know, there's community steps that we take, but also it's great to see companies and entrepreneurs stepping forward with new innovations and new technologies to make that happen. So it's a great partnership. And finally, MP Mark Gerritsen shared some thoughts.
2: I think that this is uh, great. You know, as somebody who's been driving an electric car for 10 years, um, I never really thought I'd see the day that we started to see boats, um, you know, follow the same path. And I think that, you know, this really is the future of, uh, of, of moving around, generally speaking, and uh, to see that uh, Kingston will have uh, the first charging station here, I think really says something about our community and how we project ourselves as being environmental leaders. And uh, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing uh You know more boats uh, like this, and more opportunities to charge like this.
0: And definitely, this can, as uh, Cam was mentioning from Voltari, this is going to expand to more to more areas after.
2: Well, I certainly hope so. Um, Like I was saying, uh, we saw the the EV and uh, the electric vehicle, and where that's come over the last uh, 10 or 15 years, and uh, now to see that entering into. Um, the boat uh, market too I think uh, is uh, is great I, I, I expect to see more companies looking towards this kind of technology uh, and knowing that uh, you know there's a keen interest in having some of that birth happen right here in Kingston uh, really says something about the um, leadership in terms of environmental uh, stewardship uh, in our region and, and towards uh, creating a sustainable uh, environment for everybody. So I'm thrilled uh, that Kingston is uh, selected as the location to to launch this, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing uh, boats utilize the charging system here.
0: You're listening to Citizen K on CFRC 101.9 FM, cfrc.ca, and on podcast. I'm Kareem Mosna. The Marine Museum of the Great Lakes is offering free art classes to all. This is made possible through a $12,000 grant from the Kingston and Area Community Foundation. To learn more, I spoke with Marine Museum Programs and Communications Manager, Michelle Clarabut. These new workshops, I understand, uh, the one that is held on Saturday, uh, I understand it's open to anyone regardless of skill level and there is no cost.
3: That's correct. Uh, thanks to the support of the Community Foundation of Kingston in the area. The Our Great Lakes uh, public art workshops are free of charge and open to anyone who's interested. Uh, very much encouraging intergenerational, intercultural uh, dialogues talking about Our Great Lakes. And um, so anyone anyone's welcome.
0: Excellent. And uh, I also understand this is an opportunity to, you know, connect more with the lake, and to also understand uh, some more local history and context as well.
3: Absolutely. So the, the whole, kind um, the, the backstory behind this project is, uh, it's a partnership with Heart Centre in Kingston, and uh, it's together we're commemorating the 50th anniversary of the Great Lakes Water Quality Agreement between Canada and the US. And so the whole, there's a whole number of uh, projects happening throughout the year, but this particular project um is ha- is running throughout the summer at the museum. And on Wednesdays we're doing uh, projects programs with heart Center artists. And then in parallel is these are these Saturday morning public workshops, uh, which focus very much on uh, connecting with the Great Lakes. And that's Lake Ontario, that's, that's all of them. Uh, and, and also looking a bit at the culture, the, the ecosystems, uh, the marine uh, marine industry, so the, the ships and the shipwrecks, navigation, weather, all those little in, interpieces uh, that uh, fill the story about our Great Lakes, uh, whether that's ecological or cultural or historical.
0: Okay, tell me a bit more about the Wednesday workshops.
3: Uh, so we have a group of hardest participants. So heart center artists that uh, come down to the museum and do a day full day of uh, workshops um, with the Marine museum staff. And um, they are all their pieces throughout the summer. So each week will come here, uh, a group will come here. And uh, all their pieces throughout the summer will then contribute to the uh, building of an inst- art installation at the museum, a diorama, if you will, uh, that uh, depicts their, their, their connections that they've made with the Great Lakes. So it could be, as I said, um, talking about the underwater and above water ecosystems, uh, cultural connections, um, ships and shipwrecks, uh, navigation, all, all those different pieces to really um, kind of demonstrate all the connections that they made with the Great Lakes and uh, thinking about their purpose um, within the community and thinking about the environment.
0: Oh, how very cool. So, so in the end, this will all be uh, displayed for, for uh, people to see in, in, in this whole uh, project.
3: That's right. So at the end, uh, at the end of the summer, what we'll, what we'll have is a, a, um, on our Great Lakes celebrating our freshwater resource uh, art installation at the museum, which would then be on display from about October to December, and uh, which will contribute to um, uh, educational programs in, in, at the museum in the autumn as well. And, uh, and anyone who's participating in Saturday morning workshops uh, are welcome to either take their artworks home or have them contribute to the, the installation as well.
0: Great, and uh, w- w- what are your hopes for, for this project?
3: I'm, uh, I'm very excited about the, uh, the opportunity to bring, to kind of create those art connections uh, once again. We started uh, doing a paint, an art program last summer that was a plein air paint along. And I'm very excited about the opportunity to one, bring um, or increase access to our programs and to uh, provide an opportunity to bring, to use arts as the way of connecting people with the Great Lakes. I think there's a lot of opportunity there for getting creative with how we can express. Um, our connections with the, the Great Lakes, and to just make people aware of all the different components, and you know how significant this, you know, this freshwater resource is. It's the largest uh, body of interne- interconnected freshwater um, in the world, and um, it's right here on our doorstep. And so, it's an opportunity to celebrate that and to come together and learn a bit more about it.
0: Great, thank you. And for those that want to get involved, what's the best way for them to register for a class?
3: Yeah, so uh, if you go to our website at marmuseum, marmuseum.ca forward slash community, uh, there's a link on that page uh, to register and it also has information about uh, workshops, uh, each the dates, uh, their themes and the accompanying craft or activity.
0: And of course, if people can only come say one week here, one week there, that works as well, right?
3: That's right. So the, actually it's a five part series. Um, so the workshops will actually repeat in the second half of the summer. So if you miss one in uh, the first half, you can always take it in the second half sign up for as many or as little as you wish, hopefully as many.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And as we mentioned before, both the Wednesday and Saturday, there's no cost at all.
3: That's right. Yeah.
0: Yes. And that I understand is due to a, a significant grant from the uh, Kingston and Area Community Foundation.
3: That's right. Uh, the Community Foundation of Kingston and the area granted us uh, twelve thousand dollars to run this program, and uh, we're very, very grateful for their support and the um, and their members.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Yes. No. I understand that that is definitely is what's making this possible.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and um, it's a starting point. It's an opportunity for uh, for us to kind of explore. Um, The arts and explore uh, the increasing of access to our programs in the hopes of uh, continuing that in the future.
0: And and this definitely um, is basically being accessible to, you know, to as many people as possible through this. Is that an important part of what uh, the museum is trying to do as well?
3: Absolutely. We're, um, for those of you who don't know our story, we're, we're, We've just moved back to our historic site at 55 Ontario Street, and um, we're in the process of, uh, of reimagining who we are and, and what we do, and that uh, that involves you know the exhibit, thinking through the, n- the new exhibits that we'll have, but also also has a lot to do with the programs, which is very much our focus at the moment. Uh, we want to be able to connect as many different people as possible with the Great Lakes and to celebrate it together, and uh, and that that really does come down to to access, whether it's that's access to. Uh, financial access to the programs or um, physical or intellectual or um, access to our programs as well.
0: You are listening to Citizen K on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca and on podcast. I'm Kareem Mosna. As reported on this morning's news brief, later in July, the Queens-Gales women's rugby team is going to be facing two U.S. national rugby teams in the first annual Garnet and Gold Classic being held at the University of Ottawa. I got in touch with Gales women's rugby head coach Dan Valley to find out just how our Queens team got the chance to compete with U.S. national teams. Wow! I mean, this is certainly big news. I mean, going on to face two United States national teams. Uh, t- tell me your, h- how you how you're feeling about this huge news?
4: I think it's really awesome. I, I am I am very excited for our program. I am I'm really excited about the opportunity. It's a very unique one. I'm not sure how often this happens with new sports programs, um, and and so for us to be. In a position where we can we can get in the ring with a a program like the USAU twenties and the USAU twenty threes, I think it's a really neat way to jumpstart our twenty twenty two campaign and jumpstart our national title defense. If I'm being honest with you,
0: so it explains to me how how the, uh, the the team got to this level.
4: As in, how did we end up with this particular matchup?
0: Exactly. Yes.
4: Yeah, so I know um, USA Rugby and Rugby Canada typically work very closely with one another. And um, given that the priority coming out of COVID for Rugby Canada was to restart um, restart all their domestic competitions, starting with grassroots and, and letting the provinces and each of the provincial unions focus on getting their programming back off the ground, um, uh, it... it meant that they were going to it, – it was going to be a very intricate and challenging logistical puzzle to figure out how to put together a Rugby Canada U20 and Rugby Canada U23 side um, to to get in the ring with the USA. And so um, once that actually started to started to look as though it wasn't going to come together, the USA actually picked up the phone and called – uh, called you Ottawa and called us and said, hey, um, is this something that, that might work for for each of our programs? And, and within, oh, let's call it a half a second, um, both of us, uh, Jen Boyd at Ottawa and myself, said absolutely it will.
0: And this is, uh, from what I understand, admission to come and see this great match is uh, completely free.
4: Absolutely. this um, This is... Uh, again, I really need opportunity. I really need opportunity for, for youth sports. I really need opportunity for women's rugby, both in Canada and in North America. Uh, obviously need opportunity for for our program here at Queen's. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's not really, uh, well, we, we certainly wouldn't want costs to get in the way of anybody coming down and, and enjoying what we hope is a, a pretty good show.
0: Excellent. And yeah, and perhaps for those maybe who haven't come to see rugby, as definitely you know, rugby is not necessarily the sport that many uh, often think of. Normally, you know, we think going to see a baseball game, going to see a football game, a hockey game, but uh, but rugby. Yeah. So tell me what, how you know for someone maybe who's new to rugby, some maybe something that that they might uh, appreciate in seeing a rugby match.
4: Well, I think rugby as a sport. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but but rugby as a sport has a, a pretty unique set of of skills and a, a unique level of physicality. Um, and people will often cite sort of the, the traditional core rugby values being respect and, and integrity and everything that, that comes along with that. And, and uh, so, I mean, rugby in general is a pretty unique game, but I also think for for young girls to be able to come out and watch people that aren't going to be that much older than them. So we're thinking about people that are are just entering high school, and, and that's, that's typically where you get introduced to the sport uh, for the – for a large segment of the population, um, it's pretty neat to think that that young girls and young women can come out and watch their peers or or people that aren't uh, aren't that far removed from being in their shoes um, play in in this this pretty unique pretty unique matchup.
0: Now, uh, from what I'm seeing, this is the first annual uh, of of this event.
4: Yes, this this hasn't happened before. This is. Um, this is a the first time that we've done anything like this period but but also the first time we've done anything in this in this sort of summer summer window um so that's that's why you would see the first annual uh, attached to the that garnet and gold cup um and so where this ends up going in the future uh I don't know but um but it's pretty exciting to have this as something that uh that sort of jump-starts the the competition, and and we've got a very good working relationship with with the folks down the road at the University of Ottawa and the women's rugby program there. And so, uh, yeah, assuming this goes very well, uh, that leaves the door open for future competitions, maybe not right in this time and maybe not always against an international squad like the USA U-20s or U-23s, but... um, but certainly, finding a sort of a, a a neat squad for us to to compete against. Well,
0: well, and that's certainly you know the fact that you know Queens is facing basically a national team.
4: Right. Yes, that's that's a uh, it's pretty cool. And and what I love about that is is when I look down uh, up and down our roster, um, I see student athletes that if there were a Canada U twenty or a Canada U twenty three squad. I, I you don't have to look uh too far up and down our roster to find players that would be in the conversation for being a part of those programs anyways. And and so um if if I didn't think we could get in the ring and, and provide the USA with uh with the competition that I think we can, then then we probably wouldn't have said yes to this. Um but I, I think we can go in and and uh and be pretty difficult to play against.
0: And it's coming up uh, rather quickly. I see the 17th is the first match? Yes. Perfect. Uh, Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time today. No problem at all. This is Citizen K on CFRC 101.9 FM. I'm Kareem Mosna. Sometimes I'll do an interview, but there just isn't enough time to fit it into a half-hour show. Well, back in late May, I spoke with Chief Librarian for the Kingston Frontenac Public Library Laura Carter, about the central branch receiving LEED Gold certification. Now that I have the chance, let's share that conversation right now. What is meant by the term LEED certified, for those that might not know?
5: Thanks, yeah, it's a a sustainability designation. So LEED actually stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And it's essentially a a framework for uh, certifying green buildings. So it looks at uh, a scorecard of a variety of different factors.
0: Excellent, and I mean that includes reduced water usage, boosted energy efficiency, air quality, natural light. Um, I also see this is a significant benchmark on a national level that this library, the Central Library, has achieved through this.
5: Yeah, and and there's various levels of lead as well. So there's lead certified, silver, gold, and then platinum. So. Achieving gold is is sort of an additional accolade in the standard and it's especially difficult sometimes in a renovation and particularly with the central branch where it is a, a heritage designated building. So the, the limestone building on the corner of Baggett and Johnson um, provides a, an additional level of challenge in the LEED certification.
0: How, how long did this project take?
5: Uh, so... We we started planning kind of back in, in 2014, really. Uh, renovation started in, um, in 2017, and it opened in March of 2019. So overall construction was a little bit over two years.
0: You mentioned uh, the library, uh, the Central Branch, being a heritage site. Uh, when did it first open?
5: So the building actually opened in 1978, but prior to that, uh, what we call the bishop's house or the parish house is the limestone building on, on the corner, and it dates back to the 1800s. So it, it served as the house for for the bishop. It also served as as a school. Um, it housed um, some of the nuns for the for the congregation. So it's had a variety of uses. Um, and then in the early 70s, it was actually scheduled for demolition, and it was saved by some heritage advocates in the city, and then ultimately chosen as the site for the new central library.
0: Excellent. Thanks for that background. So I guess sometimes the, the tricky thing is, is when you're making a, a change to a heritage building or to uh, a site that people have, you know, who've lived in the area for a long time uh, recognize. It's tricky, maybe, to balance um, necessary renovations with preserving um, the feel of the place. And from what I understand, the exterior of the library has been preserved through this.
5: Largely unchanged. So so certainly the exterior of the bishop's house is unchanged, although right now, uh, as we do this interview, it's it's under scaffolding because we are doing... Uh, we're replacing the roof, we're doing some masonry work. So repointing and replacing some stones and refurbishing and, and replacing some windows. And that wasn't included in the original scope of the renovation. So we did make a few changes to the exterior of the 1978 edition. We moved the door which in, in, increased accessibility and and just the, the usability of the space. And then on the inside, um, we did move uh, almost every element around. So, looking at again accessibility, um, what what made sense in the context of modern day library service versus uh, service in the 70s, when the building was really conceived as a little bit more of a, a book warehouse versus a space for study, collaboration, uh, creativity.
0: And I mean, this also speaks to the changes, in maybe the way a library is viewed today, uh, and the way that that people are using um the library and the the difference as you've talked about with accessibility and and how it's being used more as a hub in a sense.
5: Yeah, so one of the goals of the renovation certainly was to increase the connection to the street, to be able to invite people in to see some of the exciting things that are happening in the library rather than the old uh sort of notion of you know less light because that would be bad for the books or more of a a hushed quiet uh space and and certainly we do try and still maintain those spaces for people who want them so the second floor is where the nonfiction collection is now we have some more study tables we have some um we have some actual quiet study rooms that that people can use either if they want quiet space or if they do want space to do some some group work um and so, certainly, um, the building reflects that that change in in the library's philosophy and in how the community uses the library.
0: Never heard of that. Uh, light is bad for books.
5: Yeah, it fades. It fades the spines and um, just general for for materials.
0: Wow, never knew that. Uh, so, you know, all all of this. Uh, what was the the drive or the inspiration to make this happen?
5: So the, the renovation was really driven by um, the need to replace the aging systems in the library. So we had original boilers, uh, original electrical system, and of course now everybody has one to five devices potentially with them on any given day. And so we needed we needed to modernize the building. We needed new windows. Um, but in terms of the lead certification and the the sustainability aspects, the the city of Kingston does have some ambitious climate and sustainability goals. And so while the library operates um, the buildings, the city actually owns them. So we worked very closely with the city uh, on the renovation. And uh, we did the Calvin Park building in in 2009. That also achieved LEED Gold. And the city does require um, not necessarily a LEED certification, but that certain sustainability goals be met uh, when you're doing a major renovation or a new building.
0: And uh, I'm just out a curiosity, were you looking to libraries and, and other cities uh, for inspiration in, in terms of the, the design and layout? Is, is that something that, that, that is put into consideration?
5: Absolutely. So we're always looking at uh, best practices in, in library, uh, in retail even, because sometimes people don't necessarily like to think that libraries are a business. But if you look at who our competitors are, um, chapters... Um, Netflix when we're looking at uh, user experience for our online sites or or other, you know, streaming services like Disney Plus, Amazon. So we look to other libraries. Uh, The Halifax Central Library had just been completed when we were doing our design process. There's some really good uh, resources available to libraries in Ontario through the Ontario Library Association. So there's an annual architecture conference where we get together and, and share ideas. So if you think of the library as, you know, lending books and sharing resources with the, with the public, we're also very good at doing that professionally as well.
0: And that's all for Citizen K this week. Citizen K was produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at Queen's University. CFRC 101.9 FM broadcast from Kingston, Ontario on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. Thank you for listening. I'm Kareem Mosna.